We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Advanced Sports Analytics Show here on Roto-Grinders, brought to you by Jock Market. Stop throwing your money away. It's time to check out Jock Market, the app where daily fantasy becomes a stock exchange. Buy and sell shares of players in real time for real money. Download now for a 100% deposit match up to 50 bucks using the promo code GRINDERS. And get this, if you don't turn a profit this week, Jock Market is running back their first market guarantee to cover your losses in week two so download jock market in the app or play stores or check out jock market jock j-o-c-k-m-k-t.com and use the promo code grinders for a 100 deposit match up to 50 dollars on your first deposit i'm jordan cooper back for another week of the advanced sports analytics show with Stuart gibson from asa uh, the last week, uh, if, if we talk a lot about correlation and leverage strategies on this show, uh, if you pulled the leverage wheel, that lever, you know, all the way down, you said, you said, Antonio Callaway, Elijah Moore. Hey, if you're 3K and you're not Jalen Waddle, I guess, maybe I think he was the only one. And if you just slam that down and you said, Kyle Pitts, okay, get out of here. You know, that lever, if you, if you just, if you really, if you broke the lever off that leverage thing. Uh, you probably did pretty well. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't slam it enough. Yeah, likewise. Um, you know, I had, I think, uh, a good bit of exposure to, yeah, those cheap 3K guys. I mean, some waddle in there, but also, you know, plenty of, plenty of lineups wasted on, like, Callaway. Uh, Rondell Moore, I guess, I guess, did fine, but, like, a lot of Elijah Moore. Um, yeah, and just I, I think probably a little too spread out across some of the different quarterbacks. You know, I had exposure to a number of different guys. Uh, I think Lawrence was probably the guy I was most overweight on, but you know, some Fitzpatrick lineups, you know, dust, um, you know, a lot of Josh Allen lineups, just nothing. Um, yeah, no, all in all, not not a great week, but um, 
Yeah, it's just tough. You know, these first weeks uh, can be kind of discouraging when you when you open up the season with a losing week. Um, I know for us, we're incorporating some new stuff into our uh, you know projections and simulations, and uh, you know, uh, never never good to come out of the gates with, with a negative uh, negative week. But um, you know, gonna gonna continue to trust the process here and uh, move forward to week two, and uh, hopefully get some uh, get some better results here moving forward. Well, my week two is my favorite week because of small sample size syndrome. Uh, people take the, you know, the first week and say, that's exactly how the teams are going to play. And uh, that's, that doesn't necessarily need to be true. How do you take into account, uh, you know, regressing that first week data where, you know, you're still taking, we have the, you know, Najee Harris played hundred percent of snaps, right? Daryl Henderson, 96% of snaps. Like we, we see what the teams are going to play. Like, how do we know if that's going to continue or that first week was an aberration and how, and how do you kind of, kind of put that together? Cause your priors for some of these things may actually be the opposite of it. Like, like, do, I mean, do you just average it out in the middle? I mean, how, how does that process work on, on tailoring those, those projections so that you have a little bit more sense of if they're, if the trend is going to continue or it's much better to account for, for historical data more. Yeah. So I guess what you're referring to there is mostly like volume type stuff, right? Like shares of rushes or targets. Um, yeah. I mean, I think kind of the most common approach is taking the average of our prior, essentially what we projected for week one uh, and what occurred probably that is the most uh, you know, if you, cause and you know, I do every week go, row by row, player by player, and kind of look at what we had projected last week, uh, how it actually played out from a share standpoint, um, and then kind of decide on what to expect moving forward. Yeah, like I said, most common, probably taking the average, but, you know, also trying to um, incorporate uh, stuff we know about the coaches, like, you know, Damian Harris, I think was a tough one to think about this week. Like, you know, he had a huge um, rush share, a uh, pretty good target share, I think, usually higher than, than we typically see with him. You know, Bill Belichick, I think of as one of the more mercurial coaches when it comes to how to manage the backfield. Uh, I, I would say we've projected Harris as of now pretty aggressively. Uh, you know, San Francisco, like, uh, of course, the, the Mostert injury shook things up in a way that, you know, we wouldn't necessarily expect uh, to be shaken up moving forward. But like, you know, where they are, where they are, where they're, where there are instances of kind of uh, coaches who, who have at times been uh, somewhat tough to predict, I think erring on the side of, of the prior makes sense. Like, uh, I don't know, to me, Najee Harris feels like a guy I feel pretty comfortable with, um, you know, reacting aggressively to what we saw because we know Tomlin and the Steelers, when they have had, you know, a good bell cow running back that they like, have been inclined to kind of give a bell cow role to, to ho whoever it is that they like. Um, and then I, I tend to think like with, with rushes, those, I think you can trust with a little more stability, like rush share are coaches intending to, and, and offenses, you know, I'm sure there's quarterback kind of audibling at the line of scrimmage. Like these are designed intent to get a specific player, the ball as we're with target share. Like, I think there is some variance in target share, you know? Look, maybe Anthony Schwartz and uh, KJ Osborne are going to be close to 20% target share guys for the rest of the year. But like, at least at the outset, my, my inclination would be to not believe that to be the case. 
you know, there are going to be guys who, you know, we project conservatively based on kind of early, uh, early season usage. And, you know, maybe, maybe we're wrong. Maybe KJ Osborne, like is, you know, a, a legit wide receiver three, that is going to be a portion, you know, a significant portion of the offense. I think at least to me in the outset, I would rather be wrong on being over conservative on Osborne and therefore over aggressive on like Justin Jefferson or Thielen um, than I would really the other way around, if that makes sense. Um, well, I mean, I view it from a market perspective. Like I, I, I personally don't try to predict whether or not like the one game sample is real or not. I just tend to play whatever the opposite of the market is. So like in certain cases, the market is like, Oh, Najee Harris, hundred percent of snaps. Well, what happens if Benny Snell has 20% of the work? I mean, like, what What if, what if, uh, you know, Daryl Henderson, Sony Michelle, because it was his first week on the team or whatever, that's the reason why he didn't, you know, he got one carry. Like, but if the field is going towards a certain spot, if the field is going to go, uh, I got to play Cedric Wilson because uh, Michael Gallup is out and I, I'm going to treat Cedric Wilson like he's Michael Gallup, I'm more likely to, to, to ignore that and go, well, I think people are overreacting to the injury. Then the KJ Osborne, it's like, if no one's going to realize that he got like eight targets last week and he's going to be 2% owned, like I'll bet on the fact that, you know, that maybe that is the new normal. So to me, it's, I know in your situation that you're, you're trying to actually project ranges of outcomes. And for me, I'm just playing the game as DFS from a, from a theory perspective of, I'm just going to hope that the market is inefficient and uh, and they're overreacting in whatever way they are. Because if KJ Osborne is 18% on this week, I'd be thinking the other direct. I'd go, okay, well, it looks like uh, people think one thing, like with Eli Mitchell. Like Eli Mitchell is going to be in that kind of weird 9, 10% range. Where I, don't, I think there's a lot of the field that is underreacting, going, oh, there's no way that's sustainable, right? The Shanahan's going to run with like three running backs. And then some of the field is like, well, what happens if they just like Eli Mitchell and they run him at 85% of the plays? Well, that, that's a probability that happens also. So to me, I just weigh, if the market's over in some direction, I'm just going to be the, the opposite. Of yeah. That. And to some extent, I mean, we're talking about two different things, right? Like uh, if we take KJ Osborne, for example, like I'm kind of looking at it, at least in my prior discussion of the approach of, yeah, trying to project Try, trying to make a projection for him that doesn't necessarily mean that um you know I'm, I'm likely to play or not play him i kind of just let the the simulation and the uh you know the ownership that we have assigned to him uh figure out whether or not you know he's a guy that's going to fit into my lineups um as i'm looking at it now looks like we have like some some slightly negative kind of leverage metrics on it so my, my inclination would be that he probably won't appear in too many of my lineups uh, doesn't mean that he, he wouldn't appear in any, um, but it's kind of hard to say who's going to, who's going to appear in the lineups, uh, you know, before Sunday. But um, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, right? Like if uh, you know, you, he's going to be projected a certain way and you're going to kind of have an interpretation of what, whether that projection is uh, strong, accurate um, and kind of weigh that relative to, how you think other people will will roster him or, or the rate at which you think other people will roster him and make make a decision if you think people are over aggressive or over conservative i guess in assuming i don't know that that he is an 18% target share guy or that he's not an 18% target share guy um, right that's i mean that's what we do on the show we talk about leverage we talk about correlation and when it comes to correlation 
I mean, someone asked uh, in, in the YouTube chat, uh, I believe last week, that I, I talk a lot about projections. We, we, we trust projections. All the stuff that you'd be looking at throughout the course of the week, like that you see, you know, all the, all the shares, all the matchups, all, all of that type of data, like is already factored into whatever projection set you're using or if you're building your own model, like that all is accounted for, including like Vegas totals are included in that also. But yet we still on this show talk about the high total games. I explain it that when you're correlating players together for GPPs, like we're not aiming to get the game that hits its total. We're looking at the game that's going to go substantially over its total. Like we're looking for we're a game that goes for 60, 65, 70 total points. And from, from historical data, I mean, I'm assuming you have that, that those correlation metrics that the higher the team total, the more likely that that game as a whole, which means multiple pieces from that game end up being the highest scoring, you know, players on the slate for GPPs. Yeah, sure. I mean, like fantasy points by and large come from, or at least are correlated to real life points. So, so naturally, you know, um, you're going to want to target the games with higher points, but like, you know, there's stuff, there are other considerations. I mean, price sensitivity, of course, like, you know, if there's the highest total in the game, but all the players are, you know, uh, cumulatively, uh, you know, I don't know, 30% higher than kind of the next highest game. Like, you know, of course that is significant and salient and something that you want to factor in. Uh, you know, we, we talk a, a good bit about like the density of scoring on teams, you know, I think like Seattle is a team that we, we, I know liked last week and typically like uh, because they are condensed, right? Minnesota at times, definitely last year, you know, condensed, uh, condensed fantasy scoring. And like, yeah, there are teams like the Colts, for example, that frequently have respectable totals, but they're so uh, disparate in terms of where you can expect that fantasy production to be distributed to um, like that has to be, has to be factored in. Um, and, you know, I do think we do, try to do a, a decent bit of talking about that on the show. I mean, as far as like, you know, it sounds like maybe this person was alluding to just like looking at game totals on Sunday as like a guiding metric for teams that they want to stack. Is that? No, no, the opposite. More of the fact of, well, if the team, if the game totals and the team totals are already reflected in the players projections, like why do we oh. care what the team totals of the games are? But the point is, is that like in a, in a 40, five total game versus a 55 total game like a 55 a 45 total game may still have a guy that scores 38 points in it but it's it's less likely to have a three guys that score 38 like if we're, we're correlating our lineups we're building game stacks like if the game goes is, is a 45 total and goes and, and comes in at 50 like the likelihood of, of four players from that game giving you ceiling scores is less likely you, you, you want 70, you want a game that's 38 to 35 and the games that are more likely to put up those types of scores are the ones that are higher totals only because you're building multiple players from the same game. If you were, if you didn't care about correlation whatsoever, then I, then I would agree. I would agree with that person of, well, if you're building a cash lineup, who cares what the totals of the game are? It's already factored into the projections as, as the medians. Yeah. And I think just, I mean, functionally from a show standpoint, sure. We could, we could go by games with highest Q 
cumulative, you know, projected fantasy points per dollar, but I think that would be a confusing show format. So, right. Um, well, that's why a lot of times we throw in that at the, at the end, right. We go through the highest total games and then we yeah. go, is there anything else that's on the board that, you know, from that perspective, maybe, maybe worth looking at. And uh, you know yeah. what else is worth looking at? If you're playing on FanDuel, sign up for the DFS OGs FanDuel contest. That's a contest where you can compete with beer makers fan, head chopper and notorious and, uh, and it's a good payout structure. I believe it's single entry. Uh, so if you're, play, if you're playing over there, enter that now. Uh, there, there's a link on the homepage on Roto-Grinders uh, for you to sign up for that. And as always, like and subscribe. Give me those thummy thumbs on the video if you're here on YouTube. And if you're on the Daily Fantasy Football Podcast feed, feel free to give us a, re- a rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. So on this slate coming up on Sunday, we have 13 games, five with a total 50 plus. And we're going to start with uh, overwhelmingly the chalkiest game on the entire slate. It is the Cowboys at the Chargers. Uh, It opened at 52. Now it is a 54 and a half total. Uh, Chargers with an implied uh, total of uh, 29. Cowboys 25 and a half. And if I go to uh, the, this, the, our current ownership in, in lineup HQ, uh, not including the, the quarterbacks, uh, Eckler, 17%, Allen, 20%, Cooper, 14%, Lamb, 16%, Zeke Elliott, 17%. Uh, I don't think we have to like argue that the, the pricing on some of these guys is a little bit too low. Uh, and I don't think we have to argue that this is if in a if, if we didn't have to factor in ownership, this would be the, the the best stack on the entire slate. But once we factor in ownership, is there a way to stack this game in some regard that uh, that other people will not be doing? And I also have a question for you when it comes to the running backs that. Uh, is the hedge on game stacks necessarily Eckler and Elliott being that they can also catch passes. So do you view that? Can you, is a weird way to play the stack by playing a running back in the stack? Or, I mean, like, I'm just looking at this going, it's hard to ignore this game, but is it even at these prices, is it the type of game where Oh, it's going to be high on. Let me just X out the whole game. Cause I still think some of these players could get their hit their ceilings, even if the game goes under and we may still have one or two guys that end up in a GPP winning lineup. Yeah. I think like my preference would be is just to take one of the high value receivers as a one-off and try to stack elsewhere. Like, I mean, like you said, the, the projectable value for, for really the, the passing game on both sides, you know, quarterbacks, uh, and really the, th- the three primary receivers is, is phenomenal. I mean, it's hard, hard to debate that, but like the ownership, especially on the Dallas side, like Dak, Lamb, Amari is just going to be insane. Um, you know, when, when you factor in ownership, I, I kind of have negative grades on uh, the Dallas, you know, side of the game. Uh, again, not because it's like a bad value or bad spot or anything, but, you know, just I think the ownership is going to be hard to combat uh, I think you make a good point about, yeah, potentially the running backs not being like phenomenal leverage. I mean, Zeke's just like a guy I, I'm just not like that excited to play. Um, 
but I, but you know, um, but it's not like he's going to go unowned. I mean, like naturally I would go, okay, everyone's in the passing attack this game. Let me play Eckler or Elliot. And it's like, Oh, okay. They're, they're still one of the two of two higher owned running backs on the slate. Uh, we have Mike Williams priced up a bit to 6,100 that we're not normally seeing. So I think he'll be lower owned. Jared cook will be, you know, that that's an option on the Chargers side. Uh, Cedric Wilson will still get, get some ownership as a, you know, a three K type of punt receiver, maybe the tight ends Schultz Jarwin, like to me, I'm, I'm finding it hard to, to build stacked lineups with the, the Cowboys, especially, uh, but even Herbert, like Herbert's going to be one of the, like I, both of these guys are going to be the two highest on quarterbacks on the slate. So like the, the instance is, is that if Herbert doesn't get there, as quarterback one, if Prescott doesn't get there at quarterback one, is it possible for more than one player from either side of the game to be wide receiver or running back one? Like, should I be playing secondary correlations of like Eckler Lamb or Allen Cooper or Zeke Mike Williams? Like, like, is that worth, like, if, if those two guys, if the, the players on each side of the game get there, like, and put up 30 plus points, and it's one of those situations very similar to MLB DFS, where it's like you're taking a higher own guy from a five man stack. But of course, if like that guy gets there, it's more likely that like the entire stack gets there, which you don't even have because you just have that one guy. So I, I need to consider uh, whether or not because it was very similar to last year. I, there was the, this Cardinals game last year where I said it was Cardinals Bills. And I'm like, like if, if, if Diggs, if Diggs and Hopkins get there, the stack gets there. So like, why am I playing them like as a, as a secondary against each other? Uh, I think that's a little bit less than that because those teams have like really alpha wide receiver ones. While these teams like, like between Allen and Williams and between uh, Eckler and Elliott and between uh, Cooper and Lamb, like I think there's enough combinations that like two of these guys can get there and some other quarterback, some other stack, you know, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Tom Brady, you know, other stack gets there that I'm like, I'm not sacrificing like the, the, the equity, the relative value of my lineup by playing like, like why a chalky one-off CD lamb and a chalky, like Allen against him and just hope that like the quarterbacks are just not the ones that get there. Yeah. I mean, well also like, like you mentioned, there are numerous high total games. Like there are routes to, you know, Keenan Allen or Cooper or whomever, you know, being wide receiver one and, you know, maybe Dak or Herbert put up good, but not great games, or maybe they put up great games, but, you know, one of the other uh, eight quarterbacks from those other 450 total games exceed them in value or, uh, ex- you know, exceed them in, in kind of raw, raw production. Uh, I think it's like a, a tough game to just X out completely because the value is so phenomenal but um yeah from from a stacking standpoint just because the quarterbacks are going to be popular and i think like i I just think they're going to be highly highly owned stacks uh as opposed to like you know adams last week who was you know going to be like a highly owned one-off uh i think maybe just taking taking a piece or two from the game uh i i tend to prefer the wide receivers uh keenan allen and, and and cooper uh, and, you know, you can make a case for Mike Williams or like Jared Cook as well. 
Uh, although Jared, I feel like Jared Cook just kind of as a tight end probably makes the most sense when paired with Herbert. But you know, take a Keenan Allen or Mike Williams and uh, you know try try to stack through another game that you think maybe has a, a chance to beat out this game, even if you know the game, even even if the the LA Dallas game as a whole kind of doesn't fail completely. Uh, you're you're kind of just putting a bet on another game, uh, just equaling or, or bettering uh, this game in terms of kind of fantasy production. How about the opposite? How about like, maybe not for large field GPPs, but smaller ones, just overstack it. Just, I, I, I have a lineup that I built to overstack this game. You could play Prescott plus Zeke plus Lamb plus Cooper plus Cedric Wilson. And then on the run back, you play Allen Cook and Eckler, and then you play some other defense. So, like, if this game is 45 to 38, like, who says now for large field GPPs, I think now you're getting to the point where, you know, the, the, the players are you're now negatively correlated to one another, their ceilings at least. But, uh, you know, for like a 500 entry contest, like, could this be the type of thing where, like, why don't I just play all of play? I just play all the dudes and just like, uh, if this game goes over, like, I don't have to worry about where it goes to. I'm just going to get it all. Yeah, that, that seems feasible to me. I, I admittedly don't play a lot of like sub 1000 uh, contests, so I don't have really a great feel, but I, I, I see where your head's at and like that, that could make sense. Uh, only because it really... may be different. I'm, I'm, the only reason I'm saying that is just like, why would you overstack the chalkiest game? Like my style is to like, just not play it at all type of thing. But it's like, well, I think a lot of people are going to, this is going to be the most owned stack, even in small field, but I don't think every, I don't think they're going to play everyone. And it's like, feel free to try to get as many points out of, out of these one-offs from other games with your stack. And I'm just going to be like, well, if Cedric Wilson takes down a, an 80 yard touchdown, it's like, well, I'm going to beat out lineups that, that have Cooper and Lamb and no Wilson. But then if Cooper puts down a hundred yards, I'm going to have those, like, I'm just going to have all the points of Zeke uh, falls in the end zone twice. Like I have those points also that, those other teams don't like I'm leveraging myself against all the other stack lineups. The only caveat is I need the game to go over. And if the game is, if the game is 20 to 14, like I'm just, I'm, I'm at the bottom and going waving at everyone above me. Yeah. But I mean, uh, uh, you know, traditional two with one bring back would be, would lose anyways. I, it's almost like not only is it a bet on this game, but it's kind of a bet against bet against the other games or, uh, potentially betting against other players like ability to pick the right pieces from the other games uh, should they go off which you know is 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 a fine way to go um so yeah. right, just ways to think about this game i want to cover this game the most because it is by far the it's the highest total and by far the most popular game the next highest total is only one point below it and i think i think we're both gonna like this game uh it's the seahawks at home against the Titans. It opened at 52 and a half. It is now up to 53 and a half. Uh, the Seahawks are a six and a half point favorite. 30 implied team total for the Seahawks. 23 and a half for the Titans. Uh, these are two offenses that are fairly condensed. Okay. I mean, we got, if we, I take a look at ownership here, just so we can get a sense of that. And I also like the fact that like all the, the best games are also the, the late games. Uh, if I just look at outside of the, the quarterback, Chris Carson, 
is going to be the chalkiest player in this game, which is a running back at 17% or so currently in our RG ownership. A.J. Brown, 10%, which is respectable, but not a high-owned wide receiver. And then everyone else in this game is low. Lockett, six. Metcalf, three. Julio, two. Derrick Henry, six. Ferkser, four. Uh, With Carson being the higher-owned piece of this game, doesn't doesn't this just scream out to play like a three plus one of either either Wilson plus one of Lockett or Metcalf plus like like a Disley or Esverett, you know, something like that. Or you play Tannehill plus uh, AJ Brown plus Ferkser, like like that type of stack on the other side with with neither of the running backs as the runbacks, but like AJ Brown or Julio back then. To me, to me, it almost screams out like on, at a 53 and a half total that these teams, then this game could be a shootout. Yeah. Um, no, I think, I think it looks like a great spot uh, is I think potentially going to get under owned just because of the popularity of that uh, Los Angeles Dallas game. And yeah, I mean, with Carson looking like the, you know, highest owned kind of most probable uh, player. Uh, yeah. Just kind of, I think the lineup, you know, builds itself, um, you know, and, and I like both these, both these quarterbacks and passing attacks. I think like, uh, last year and even last week you know i do wonder uh i don't know i i feel like people are pretty sharp and aren't gonna like totally discount aj brown after kind of a a dud of a week one um but yeah i mean i think you could do this from both sides um i have a question I mean, uh, Stuart. i my main question in this game is the secondary How, i have a feeling i'm just going by gut here you have the data that Chris Carson ceiling game does not correlate well to shootouts. Like if Chris Carson has a three touchdown game, is it less likely that playing like an AJ Brown or Julio Jones on the other side is not as useful? Uh, yeah, that would seem likely. I was going to ask you kind of the, the counter to that is like, I, I wouldn't be open. I don't think to like a Tannehill Brown, you know, maybe a, maybe a second Titan, plus Carson, but would you at all be open to like uh, Russ Lockett or Metcalf and potentially a cheap second Seattle guy and then Henry on the bring back? I know historically Henry has had decent court positive correlation with like, I think, I think a Henry ceiling game doesn't uh, doesn't exclude a possible like Seattle shootout ceiling game, the way that a Carson ceiling game uh, does. I do think an interesting component i mean yeah rather than take the seattle running back take the tennessee running back rather than take the seattle running back add the tennessee pass uh catchers and throwers um i just feel like you have kind of a, a setup for a really well leveraged uh build and lineup on kind of multiple accounts um you yeah, know i agree with you on the the fact that the way that seattle plays versus the way that tennessee plays that if carson is if carson is getting touching the ball 25 times this game is under Derrick Henry is more likely than Chris Carson to score in a 60 yard touchdown. Like when, when, if, if Tennessee is up by two touchdowns on two long Derrick Henry touchdowns, then Seattle's throwing the ball more. So like, I'm much more likely to play Henry in that type of configuration than Carson. The only issue I have is that it's, 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 I mean, I mean, Russell Wilson, 7,500 Tyler Lockett and Metcalf for the 7K. Derrick Henry's 8,000. I mean, just from a price perspective, 
that you're playing an $8,300 running back in a stack that is already over 20K as it is. So it's like you're very heavily dependent that all the production goes that way. And you better make sure you get the right Seattle wide receiver right. Yeah, you, you certainly are getting up there in price. Um, I do think the conventional way would be to go with Brown instead of uh, Henry. But um, I don't know. I mean, we, we've seen in the past Henry can be these one of these guys that just breaks slates and, uh, you know, can uh, pay off seemingly insurmountable price tags and, uh, you know, expect him to have pretty low ownership this week, uh, mostly on account of that high price tag. Is he – yeah, he's the most ex- – Sorry, he's the most expensive Titan, not the most. It looks like there's some other running backs ahead of him. Right. But, yeah. We um, got Kamara. We got Cook. We got McCaffrey. We got stuff. But like above him. those, those guys will be popular, right? So, like, if you have Henry by default, you're not going to have, you know, Kamara, Cook, or McCaffrey. Um, and it sets up to be a, a very, very high leverage uh, spot. Um, I think, I think, I think, uh, Stuart, I'm more likely if I play Henry, I play Henry as a secondary. So instead of okay. playing and paying up for Wilson and uh, having a quarterback slot at that high, I'm thinking I'm more likely to play Henry plus Metcalf, Henry plus Lockett, like some, like something like that. And then pay down, like that would be a type of lineup where I'm playing a cheap quarterback type of stack. And then I'm getting the secondary there. Cause I mean, just, it starts getting absorbent at that point. Uh, like, I think it's, I think it's more likely that if Derrick Henry has a three or four touchdown game, I don't know if Russell Wilson is quarterback one and at 7,500, like I need him to be quarterback one, but like a $5,500 quarterback, I don't need to be quarterback one. He could be quarterback four with 24 points in a cheaper stack. And then I still get my, you know, 30 points out of Metcalf and 35 points out of Henry. And I think I'm good. Yeah. I also, one thing I like about this last thing I like about this game is I, I like the tight ends. You know, I, I think uh, tight ends always a tough position to figure out. And one approach that I think we talk about a decent bit is just like play the tight end of the quarterback that you want to stack. I think both uh, Ferkser and Everett are, are unlikely to generate a ton, a ton of ownership. And I think both have uh, solid enough projections such that, you know, I feel pretty good about going like quarterback, their tight end, the best receiver, of course, with Seattle, you kind of have to pick between one of two um, and then bring back the best receiver on the other side. I mean, it seems like a stack that kind of builds itself. Um, so, yeah, uh, no, I, I'm with you. I like this game a good bit. Okay, let's go to the next game. It's uh, 52 total. It is the Falcons at the Buccaneers. It opened at 53. Now it's at 52. The Bucks are a 12-point favorite. They have a 32 implied team total. The Falcons with a 20 implied team total. We take a look at ownership. You don't see much here. Godwin, 11. Ridley, 9. Pitts, 10. Evans, 6. I mean, I don't see much of Ronald Jones, 5. Uh, I, don't, I don't see, I don't really see much. Uh, where's Fournette? Fournette, barely anything. I mean, uh for a game with this high a total to have this low ownership, is it? Do you think it's primarily because, uh, yeah, well, yeah, they're 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 twelve point favorite the Bucks, and uh, and Brady. I mean, Brady has a ceiling, but it's not rushing ceiling. Uh, the problem is, is that uh, what it's uh, spin the wheel, the the wide receiver roulette wheel, and uh, and choose which one's going to do well. He tends to spread the ball out. 
like Gronk could get there, but the prices on these guys are not are not exorbitant. You know, Godwin sixty six hundred, Evan sixty one hundred, Antonio Brown six thousand, Gronk forty seven hundred, and the the running backs are cheap. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't think it, it, it's in the worst way to to double stack Brady with two wide receivers. You just make sure you get the two ones that 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 produce and not the one that doesn't. I mean, I think it's I think the ownership is spread more because of uncertainty because it's not a condensed offense and not because a 32 point total team is, is, you know, a bad team to stack. Yeah. I, I think it is one of these games and Tampa Bay has kind of been this way for a while where it's like, yeah, the, the game total looks solid. Um, the receivers I think are like really good values in this game. I mean, Brown at 6,000 uh, looks really strong. Uh, Evans, I think, you know, is going to generate, relatively little ownership uh you know on account of kind of a, a poor week one but you know maybe people are i mean i think people will likely be fairly sharp on him um yeah it's just tough to figure out uh it's not a game that i want to like uh load up on and just kind of you know be like a flag plant type of game but definitely think it's going to make sense to get some exposure uh to this game uh you know, Tampa Bay, even though it is going to be the most difficult to predict, st- still to me kind of feels like the side to be on just because there is uh, better value among Tampa pass catchers. Um, so, yeah, I think, think a game that I would like to be uh, a little bit overweight on, take my shots. You know, of course, there, there's a chance that, you know, all uh, th- there's, of course, a chance the game, that the game fails. Uh, and there's also a chance that the game uh, hits, but I just don't kind of piece together the right combination of players. But uh, look, I don't know. I mean, I feel I feel okay about taking shots on good sides, uh, even if they're kind of less than guarantee that, uh, le- or less than a full guarantee that the game going over ensures kind of uh, strong lineup performance. Uh, do you see it that way, or are you kind of inclined to to stay away from these clearly good spots that are you know potentially scattered performance? Right. I, I just go by the ownership. I mean, I like the ownership in this game. I, I almost, it's kind of weird for me to say, I almost wish that this game was higher owned because the running backs for the Bucks are cheap. Ronald Jones is 4,800. Leonard Fournette's 5,100. The team has a, a 32 point total and they're favored by 12. Like if you look at historical data, as far as correlation is concerned, running back, fantasy performance is very tied to the total and the spread of the game. The question is, is that who knows which one of these guys, I mean, I, the Arian said, Oh, Jones is the starter, but who knows what that means? He could play the first snap and then never play again. Right. It could be one of these things, but like, I wouldn't put it past against the Falcons defense that, that they give up four rushing touchdowns. I mean, like, but I would gain so much more if, the pat if the passing attack was more owned. So it's like it's one of those things where I think the passing attacks for these games, these teams are under owned, as well as the running backs are under owned. So I think I'm sprinkle, I think I'm more likely to, to do the sprinkle sprinkle uh with this uh than than stack it. Cause I don't think I I truthfully I don't think uh if you're playing Fournette or Ronald Jones, that you don't even have to play anyone else in this game. Like I, I think the Bucks are rolling with their rushing game and they're getting success. I don't think Ridley hits a ceiling. I don't think Pitts hits a ceiling. I don't just I just don't see anyone else hitting a ceiling. If uh, if Ronald Jones and Fournette have two touchdowns each, 
well, what the touchdowns for the wide receivers go away. So it's like, it, it, it feels to me that, that especially in GPPs where I want to get cheap touchdowns at running back and pay up for stud wide receivers. That's primarily my type of build. If you, if you listen to Brandon Adams last year, he's a very big fan of those types of builds, cheap running backs and high price wide receivers. Uh, this seems like the type of play. I mean, had other than the fact that it's scary as hell to roster Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette, how do you get away from the fact that there are 30, 32 total in a 12 point favor? Yeah, I think uh, it, it is hard to get away from that fact. I think the, the uncertainty is, uh, is scary. And they're not owned. And it's not like they're like 12% owned. I mean, these, these guys are five, sub 5% owned. And I mean, I don't want to be the one that's touting these running backs. I, I don't like putting Ronald Jones in any roster, but I think in general, this game is going under owned. The problem, the problem is, is that like which way to stack it is, is, is the hard part. Yeah. So how, like, I'm curious to know, and it's, it's potentially a longer discussion than we have time for, but like, yeah, the, 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 the scariness, the, the uncertainty of kind of where, likely fantasy production is to go how how do you justify like uh considering stacking this game versus just taking one-off pieces because you know taking trying to take trying to pick the right one-off piece uh, or you know even like kind of secondary uh 1v1 stack you know is equally uh kind of at risk of not hitting whether whether or not you're going the one-off route or the stack route um I don't know. I'm kind of interested. To hear I, I, th- I think it, I think the roster, I think it's all based on the quarterback. Not to get into a longer conversation is that once you put the quarterback in your lineup, you're kind of betting, especially if they're over six K you're betting at their quarterback one. So you have to think in terms of if Brady is in the lineup, how does Brady turn into quarterback one now on the distributed amount of how he distributes his passing it's quite possible he's quarterback one without any receiver being in the winning lineup. Right. I mean, the the way that he interacts with the team. So if I were to, I I feel like I could play Godwin Evans or Brown by himself without Brady as without Brady as quarterback one. Right. But if I play Brady as quarterback one, I don't mind playing two of them. Like I, like at that point, can I pick the right two? Well, if the rest of the field is, is, is going to go away from this game because they, they, they feel uncertain. I'm just getting more more relative value by taking a, taking a stand. Pick, I mean, look, I built lineups with uh, last week with Russell Wilson, and I said, here's one with Lockett, here's one with Metcalf. I had more Metcalf lineups. Turns out Lockett was the one that won. I mean, you just at some point, you just have to m- make a choice, right? I'm more likely to probably side with Godwin than Evans or Brown, but I mean... It's not like any of them are going to be that owned that I really care that much about the ownership because I think Brady is not going to be a high owned quarterback in comparison to Dak and, and Herbert and Kyler and Russell Wilson even and stuff like that. So like, like to me, it's the lineup as a whole. Like if I'm going to play uh, uh, like, for instance, if I'm going to play Dak in a line, let's say I play Cowboys like I don't mind playing like just a one-off wide receiver of the of, of Tampa or anything like that. But I'm less likely to play if I'm playing Brady and I have a choice between uh uh I'm playing Brady plus Brown plus one of Godwin or Evans. I think I'm much if Brady's in my lineup, I'm much more likely to play 
the second Bucks wide receiver than my, my first Cowboys wide receiver, right? Because once I put the Cowboys wide receiver in, I'm actually giving points to Dak Prescott lineups that I actually need to fail. I want Brady to put up 36 points as QB1, and for him to do that, he could support two receivers. So it's kind of like thinking about all the lineups that I'm competing against and how they get there. So my Brady double stacks are probably more likely to have Zeke Elliott in it or Eckler in it than my lineups that don't have Brady in it. Then if I don't have Brady in it, then I could I could play C.B. Lamb. I could play Amari Cooper. Does that kind of make a little bit of sense? Yeah, yeah, that does. Um, yeah, it sounds like it is, con- you know, you're, you're thinking about these, these whether to consider games to stack one off or potentially both is potentially conditional on the other games and kind of other scenarios that you are hoping to play out um, for, for one or the other kind of type uh, su- succeeding uh, in, in the context of the slate. Right. That, that's why, like, if you, if you use lineup HQ here at Roto Grinders, which you can get if you're a premium member, click on the link in the description, get $10 off your first month, start building chalk lineups to see what they look like. So it's like, these are the types of lineups. If you don't play these guys, what, that you're going to have to beat. So it's like, what is negatively correlated to the Cowboys passing game? The Cowboys running game. What's negatively correlated to that? Like, so it's like, if, you, if you're going to say that Tom Brady is the quarterback one, you're saying that the Dallas passing game isn't, doesn't produce Dak as quarterback one. So what is negatively correlated to that? So that would be, I mean, you could do that for any slate, any game, kind of trying to put those pieces together. But you kind of have to know what the chalk is going to be in order to do that. And one game that is not going to be chalk, another high total game is uh, the Cardinals, uh, the Vikings at the Cardinals in Arizona. It's a 51 total. It opened and it's still 51. Uh, the Cardinals are a three and a half point favorite. Uh, Cardinals with a 27.25 implied team total. The Vikings with a 23.75 implied team total. Looking at ownership in this game, uh, Dalvin Cook, 13, Hopkins, 12, uh, Edmonds, 8, Thielen and Jefferson, 3 and 4, uh, Rondell Moore, Osborne, not much, A.J. Green, nothing there. I mean, is this is this game going under? Un, I mean, to me, this seems like, I mean, the only problem is that, like, a lot of pieces of this game are high-priced. But, I mean, Arizona runs at, like, the fastest pace. Kyler Murray has probably the large, the highest ceiling out of any quarterback. Uh, why aren't we playing Murray plus Hopkins plus Thielen or Jefferson, especially if the Vikings are, I mean, the Vikings passing game is going like virtually unowned. Yeah, I, I guess probably, you know, from a median standpoint, like Kurt, um, Kyler Murray is, is, is a tough projection just because he's, so expensive but yeah like you said i mean uh high probably him and allen two highest ceilings on the slate uh you know hopkins per dollar maybe not um you know the uh the 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 highest uh ceiling but but from a raw standpoint i mean got to be one of the highest ceilings on the slate um yeah it, it just becomes expensive if kind of you you think about doing murray plus hopkins plus uh say jefferson um but I don't know. I, I, I've been in favor of uh, equally expensive uh, kind of trios of players at 
not, not you know recently on on the show even so right um, right you you literally you know, like, oh, why don't why are we play why are we play Russ Wilson and Metcalf and Derrick Henry together isn't that good it's like hey did, uh, what I'm saying is actually cheaper than that yeah yeah um no I mean yeah it makes sense like uh you know Murray you know, this is a spot where he's just not going to be super owned relative to kind of other other spots that that he's in uh if, from kind of a, a number standpoint neither of these sides are popping as kind of uh strong strong plus ev but like from a uh you know just just eye test like yeah to me it makes sense i mean uh maybe you could make the case that like uh arizona's passing can be a bit spread out at times um but i i think like i would rather get kyler than, than kirk cousins so um at least to me it seems like the approach should be probably kyler plus like hopkins plus you know, keep keep it simple on the Arizona side and bring back one Minnesota guy. Um, is that it's how you're saying? You it? don't have to keep it simple, though. I yeah, hear me out on this. What do you think of this? Kyler Murray is a Russian quarterback, so I mean, like, so he could score two court two touchdowns on the feet. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins at eight thousand, like, could get a bunch of yards, right? Let's say he has a hundred like hundred and thirty yards on on eight receptions. That's still tw- that's twenty one points. That ain't bad. But I mean, Kyler Murray, if let's say he throws three touchdowns and one's to AJ Green, one's to Chase Edmonds, one's to Rondell Moore, like all these guys are really cheap. So why can't I play Kyler Murray as a, as a single stack with one of the cheaper guys? And Hopkins still has a good game. It's just that at 8K at wide receiver, there are other wide receivers that, you know, end up outscoring. Hopkins has 22 points and still is not unnecessary. But Kyler Murray has 40. Either Moore or Green have 16, but they're under they're 4K or below. And then you run it back, and one of the, the, the Vikings wide receivers has, you know, 130 and two touchdowns. Like, and it's so much cheaper. And then now you're able to fit in, like, secondary correlations of other games better in the rest of your lineup. The, 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 does the data, do you have any data on, on Murray as far as how correlated he is to, like, the secondary guys versus Hopkins when it's, when we're talking about kind of like 75th percentile, like when Murray scores over 30 points, like how correlated he is, is he to the wide receivers or is the ceiling just primarily rushing? Um, if you give me like, I don't know, two minutes here, I could pull that up. Uh, is it, a, is it at least a, a, what I'm, what I'm posing, like a valid thing to consider because of how Murray scores points. Yeah. Oh, certainly. I mean, I think, you know, him and probably Lamar Jackson, and I guess Jalen Hurts as well, are probably the few quarterbacks that that make sense um, as kind of a, a single stack uh, piece. Uh, or, or I'm sorry, as like a, I guess you're not proposing him naked, but rather just like with non Hopkins. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do. I think it ma- makes sense to me. Um Let's see. Uh, I am curious to see kind of the Kyler uh, correlation with, you know, uh, I guess really Hopkins and some of these other secondary right, but pretty pieces. Much, I, could, I could understand, uh, Stuart, that, that Kyler and Hopkins at the 50th percentile are quite correlated. It's just more of that, like at the 80th percentile. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm looking at it now, like uh, of the guys currently, on the roster and we don't really have any correlation with green or, or um, 
Rondale more because you can't have correlation until you have three data points. But uh, yeah, Kirk, I mean, historically has had slightly better correlation um, with uh, Kyler. And, you know, the, the combined max that, uh, you know, I think is one, you know, it's kind of two ways you can look at correlation, right? The, the correlation metric, kind of the R value, um, which is useful, but like, like you touched on, you know, sometimes you can have guys like Hopkins and Murray have strong correlation, positive uh, 0.448, but their combined ceiling is only 72 fantasy points is where the combined ceiling of, uh, or the combined max. So that is, it's not like some hypothetical, you know, combined max that we're projecting. It is in a game. What is the most points that Murray and Kirk or Murray and Hopkins have combined for uh, the combined max of Hopkins and Murray is only four points higher than the achieved combined max of Kirk. Um, so to me, like that, that, that type of stuff does uh, signal kind of what you're talking about. Uh, it probably wouldn't make sense to try to do a screen share kind of mid show. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you look at a chart pretty much of Murray's production versus Hopkins, you see a straight line uh, up to essentially 30 points for Murray. And then, uh, you know, it's not like when Murray gets to 40, Hopkins is getting to 40, 40. like the Hopkins max kind of tops out around 30, um, you know, which is fine. You know, you'll take like a four X from Hopkins uh, for sure. But uh the, 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 the correlation, if you plot the data points out for Murray versus Kirk, maybe, maybe I can post it on Twitter, like in a comment to the, when this gets posted, but uh, you know, Kirk Murray is just like a straight line, right? Like when Murray hits 30 points, Kirk has usually been living around 15 points. When Murray hits 40 points, Kirk is, you know, he's not getting up to 30 just cause that's not within kind of his range of outcomes, but he's, he's kind of continuing up. So I, I think what you're saying that the data would support, I, I definitely kind of after the show could, uh, could post that to Twitter to kind of, uh, lend an example of kind of what, what you're talking about. Uh, cause you are correct in kind of your, your guess there. Okay. Let's go to the last game that has a 50 plus total. It's the, the games that we just talked about are all 4 PM games. This is the only game on the 1 p.m. Uh, schedule that is uh, 50 or over. It opened at 48. It's now 50. It is the 49ers at the Eagles. Uh, the Niners are a three-point favorite, 26 and a half implied total for the 49ers, 23 and a half for the Eagles. If we take a look at ownership in this game, I'm going to assume to see very low numbers. Yes, no one over... 10% owned the highest with Mitchell at nine Kittle at seven or eight. Then we have a bunch in four or five range uh, is, I mean, it's a 50 total. You'd go, no one's going here, but is the fact that this game is, do you think that this game is actually harder to stack than the, 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 the Buccaneers Falcons game because San Francisco, you know, Samuel, Possibly Ayuk. We don't know what's going on with him. Uh, Jimmy G doesn't throw the ball that much. They run the ball a lot. Then we have a rushing quarterback for the Eagles as an underdog. And they have multiple receivers. They have Rieger. They have Rookie Smith. They have uh, Goddard. I don't know if Ertz is going to play. But like Kez Hopkins is out there or Watkins, whatever, is out. I mean, is, is the fact is that like, like, yeah, if no one's on this game, I'd love to stack it. It's just like, like, like this is, they're cheaper, but it almost feels like, like this game could go over 
and like no one gets there. Like it could be one of those games that we, we saw with even the 49ers last week of like other than Debo Samuel, like, yeah, the 49ers put up a ton of points and like still the stack didn't pay off. And not, and other than one one player, no one got there anyway. Yeah, I mean, the Eagles are like the Buccaneers in that they're spread out, but like Hertz is unlike Brady in that the Eagles as a team, you know, could could kind of overachieve their their team total. And it could just come through Hertz legs, you know, and like there's no guarantee that like I, I feel pretty comfortable that if the Buccaneers overachieve, uh, it's likely going to be to the benefit of the passing game. It's just kind of tough to pin down who are going to be the beneficiaries with the Eagles. If they get there, I think it's far from a guarantee that it is to the benefit of the passing game. Uh, and then even if it is, it, it is equally difficult to pick out kind of the, the beneficiaries there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think probably not a game I'm going to want to stack up. Uh, I don't really go with naked uh, quarterback uh, builds, but like, I guess if there was any game uh, that that you would consider doing it, probably naked hurts uh, makes the most sense. Um, in general, though, I think think a game that I would be inclined to stay away from. It's odd. We have like kind of, uh, you know, decent grades on the San Francisco side. Uh, but I think it's just coming from like next to no ownership. I mean, really the other kind of peripheral variables, uh, you know, the rate at which San Francisco stacks would get inside the top 1%, the, the, the ceiling and kind of mean value of San Francisco stacks are all, all abysmal. So, um, I'm not sure if just like the simulation caught like a good, uh, you know, a good, good, uh, kind of variance in the simulation went favorably for San Francisco because kind of all their underlying metrics as a team look, look not ideal for stacking, uh, really quite bad. Um, but, but per simulations, the San Francisco stacked lineups did have a positive ROI. Um, but literally everything else kind of looks terrible. So when I see that uh, I'm inclined not to, trust you know small sample positive roi everything else looking terrible okay now let's look at other games that have under 50 i have i personally have uh a game that i'm eyeing as a plus and a game that i'm eyeing as a minus okay so that that, that that's what we're going to do now so uh do you have do you have a game that you're eyeing as a plus uh yeah, I mean, God, shades of 2020, but like, oh, don't tell kinda, me it's the I, Browns. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I I kind of like uh, the Cleveland side of Cleveland, Houston. Um, you know, of, of course, kind of the most likely scenario is that uh, you know Cleveland blows out, just turns the ball over to the running game. Um, don't have like super high ownership on any of the. Browns running backs. I mean, Chubb, we have at 8%. I'm not sure. Can't imagine you guys having like super, super high. Um, What, what if, what if, what if the Texans find a way to keep it close? Um, So Mayfield Landry cooks. Yeah. Mayfield Landry. I think like people's Jones um, that, you know, I think uh, Schwartz is, is like the kind of flavor of the week in, Cleveland, but like what he's questionable. He's questionable also. So he may not even flush. Schwartz's? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, so if he were to be ruled out, uh, yeah, I don't know. Why why not like 
Landry, DPJ, or even if Schwartz is in, um, has he been practicing at all this week? Uh, uh, I'm not sure. Know? I thought he's questionable. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Not, nonetheless, um, yeah, I don't know. You You're know, guaranteed, I think Stewart. You, you know, you're going to have to have a Browns line. Yeah. I think I you mean, have uh, to have a, I think if the Browns were a 7 million point underdog, you'd still have a Browns lineup every week. Well, yeah. I mean, then we know that they would be passing. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, 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 I think, uh, of course, they have like a strong team total. The fear, I think, will be that, you know, it's all going to come through the ground. Um, I don't know. Not that Jacksonville was like unpopular last week, but uh, I don't know. I mean, Look, we, we talked about it a bit last week, like comparing kind of the Texans to the Jets. Um, are, 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 are they a team that is just going to be incapable of supporting uh, competitive games and kind of production from the other side? Uh, you know, maybe I will be overreacting uh, to their to their week one win against Jacksonville. But um, yeah, I mean, nonetheless, like I think if if, um, you know, if Houston keep the game close, like I do think Mayfield has a chance to be strong value. Uh, with no OBJ, like the targets are going to have to go somewhere. Um, with no, if Schwartz were to be held out, that would certainly uh, make like Peoples Jones really compelling. Uh, as of now, to me, it looks like a a side and kind of a stack that I'll have decent exposure to. Uh, and, and of course, I mean it's going to be next next to no ownership because um, I think the consensus will be that you know the game is going to go as as people expect. There's also higher total games with kind of more compelling pieces. Um, I don't know. I just think there's good value there. Uh, super low ownership. Uh, it, it is it is a game that I kind of have a plus on for sure. And my, my plus game, Raiders at Steelers. Uh, Najee Harris most likely is going to be the highest owned running back, possibly the highest owned player on the slate. But let's just say that the Raiders go out to a lead. We just got news right now while we're recording that uh, Josh Jacobs is out. So uh, it's going to be Kenyon Drake and probably Peyton Barber. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming maybe Peyton Barber may even take over the Jacobs role and Drake is just going to be Drake. But I think that's more likely to lead to more passing from the Raiders. I'm just going under the assumption that like if the Steelers get down, that just is all negatively affected Najee Harris, who's going to be high owned. So like, I don't mind playing Carr plus Waller plus one of the, plus Deontay Johnson, plus Chase Claypool, plus one of the, the Pittsburgh wide receivers. I think Waller is going to be more owned on FanDuel than he is on DraftKings. Uh, to, me, it's, to me, it's not necessarily like, it's not the best play from a raw point perspective or even a point per dollar perspective, but from a relative value perspective, as far as leverage, like if Najee Harris has a bad game and that game still gets to a 47 total, who benefits from it? It's going to be all the other pieces in the game. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, looking through our charts, I have both uh, both sides of this game. Actually, it's one of two games where both sides uh, per simulations have positive ROIs. Uh, we actually have Las Vegas as like Las Vegas stacks as the highest ROI. Um not projecting as a great like median or even ceiling value, but um, yeah, ownership should be low. Um, That's what I want to hear. I want to hear the Raiders on the top of your list. (laughs) Yeah. So that's interesting though. Like I, to me, it would feel that, 
mean, I guess if Jacobs is out, maybe Las Vegas goes pass heavy, even if they're winning. Um, but like, let's see, like for, for a, a, a car, certainly a car ceiling game seems like it occurs when Pittsburgh is winning, which kind of coincide. I mean, it does coincide. You would most likely with the Harris ceiling game. So, but I think if, if Harris has a ceiling game, the game goes under. If Harris touches the ball 28 yeah, sure, times, sure. I, I'm assuming that the game is, is Pittsburgh 21 Raiders 10. I mean, like, like that type okay. of game. I think the yeah. only way this game opens up and Harris fails is if it becomes a shootout. And in that point, I, I trust, I, I trust Carr to throw to Waller 23 times and sure. maybe play Edwards alongside him, you know, like do that, then play Ben Roethlisberger. Because I, th- I don't think Roethlis- I don't think the Raiders will get up to that much of a lead, right? Often enough that Roethlisberger has to throw 58 times. I don't think they want Ben throwing that much. But I think it's, I, I think if the Raiders could take a lead, this game has like, it has, other than Harris, has like no ownership. So like, I want that scenario. If Najee Harris wasn't owned, if Najee Harris was 8% owned, I wouldn't even be talking about this. I just think that where can I find the game scenario that is negatively correlated to Harris? And I think the Raiders stack with the single Pittsburgh runback is the most likely. Yeah. uh, yeah. But there could be other, maybe it is a Ben stack. I'm just saying like, I'd rather that side, but I may, hey, maybe I do play a Ben plus two and and you know ben plus deontay plus jake claypool plus waller yeah because it's more expensive that's the only problem yeah the pit side feels very tampa bayish though at, at not as attractive pricing um and i, I would I, w- I would assume that you're kind of comfortable single stacking car with waller or are you trying to add like edwards or renfro or i mean i could edwards is cheap i mean all those guys are yeah. cheap i mean but yeah, but I mean, if I play Carr, does, does, I don't think Carr gets to a ceiling without Waller having a massive game, especially in a tight end position where if I could win tight end with a 34-point game and the next highest scoring tight end is 10, like I'll take that over the wide, over the wide receivers. Yeah, um, that makes sense. And yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to ask you to, to, to end on, uh, on your minus. A game that, oh, you, that, that uh... you would be under on compared to the field i guess i I mean i haven't paid super close attention yet to what the field uh is likely to do just because i'm I'm kind of focusing on our stuff Um, because you want you want me to give me you my minus instead yeah uh the rams cults game okay uh for the simple reason it's a 47 and a half total i don't mind the game it's the rams at the cults it's inside okay fine 25 and a half for the rams 22 for the cults uh, the problem is, is that on DraftKings, Cup, Woods, and Henderson are both getting owned, are all getting owned. Cup is going to be one of the highest owned uh, wide receivers. Uh, Woods is still going to get like eight or 9% ownership, and Henderson's going to be like 15 to 17. Like, how do I stack this differently? Like, that, that, to me, it's like Stafford is actually the lowest owned out of the bunch. Like, People may go, oh, people are playing Cup, people are playing Woods, let me play Stafford, let me just play them as a stack. And I just don't think you're getting different enough. Like, if I'd, I'd, I'd almost rather play those guys as one-offs than play the stack. Or uh, if if I were to play it, I'd do it on the other side. You play Wentz, and then you get you still play a chalky Cup, 
but you mitigate that ownership by playing the other side of the game. The only problem is uh, who the hell do you pair Carson Wentz with? Because they seem to throw to the 8 million P I mean, running backs. It does <laughs> like, it almost feels like if I'm going to play the, an LA player, I almost want to play Jonathan Taylor across from, from cup or woods. Uh, and if I play Henderson, I almost don't want to play anyone else in the, if Henderson gets 25 plus touches, I don't think anyone in the game gets a ceiling. Yeah. Uh, it's, we've got a positive grade on Indianapolis side, but I, I think you hit on kind of the key point is that they're, they're very tough to figure out. Um, kind of a middling, slightly negative grade on, on Los Angeles. So that makes sense to me. I mean, I, I think we've already kind of talked about when and looking through it, the game that I would want to be under on and that's Philadelphia, uh, San Francisco. Um, Even though that game is already like under, like compared to the field. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I still, it's still one of the fifties that are under. Wait, you'll get used to what we, I, I, I on the spot introduced a new segment. So like <laughs> yeah. typically we just go like, can you find one that you like? But we never did ones like, oh, ones that people are going to be on that you don't like as much. But I just yeah. want, I just wanted to at least touch. If we didn't touch on that Rams game, I knew we would get angry comments of like, how do you not mention Woods Cup and you know, like higher owned guys that, like, why wouldn't you be playing a Stafford stack and I at least wanted to explain, like, I don't think you're getting it different enough by playing a Stafford stack since many people are playing these guys anyway. Yeah, I'll tell you. So I mentioned that uh, Las Vegas pit was the only game where both sides uh, our, our simulations had as a positive grade. That's not saying that they're phenomenal, phenomenal values, just saying relative to ownership when simulating it through uh, stacks from both of those sides generated on average positive return. Of course, you can stack these games and kind of lose money. The other game that I said, there were two of them. The other game that has positive grades from both side makes no sense to me uh, is Chicago, Cincinnati. I, I am not, you know, I kind of have to go back and look and see maybe where that's coming from. Cause just, you know, eyeball test to me, that doesn't seem like it's going to be it. Um, I think it's due to price. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, cause I mean, look, if the, if Burrow, I mean, if you look at all those players on a team, Burrow, Mixon, all the three receivers, Montgomery, Allen Robinson, like they're, 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 they're not screaming values, but they're not, they're, I don't, I think they're under, I think they're all at least a little bit underpriced that like, if that game goes over the 45 relative to the cumulative price of the stack, and then you're able to jam in like the best plays everywhere else. I could see, I could see that being plus ROI. All right. Um, I mean, it's, it's not odd. a game that I'm going to be looking at, but I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's as, as crazy. If you would have told me it was the Broncos Jaguars, I would say, yeah, I think you're crazy. Yeah. Or the, Jet, the Jets Patriots. Like, yeah, if you said, oh, the Jets Patriots or like, like, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. see how that works out. Yeah. Well, we've got a, a good grade on the Jacksonville side and a, um, uh, not so good grade on, on Denver. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it's odd to me. It's not a game that I would have kind of pegged just knowing the teams, knowing the total. Um, but I don't know. At this point in the week, kind of my approach is just to fill out the numbers, run it through the system and kind of see where, where the chips fall. Um, so I just thought it was interesting and of note that that was one of the games where there seems to be, uh, I don't know, good, strong support for it from a, uh, 
you know, simulation and value relative to ownership uh, standpoint. So that was. And can people see those grades at advancedsportsanalytics.com? Yeah, so it's not on the tools. Uh, we have grades at a player level, uh, more or less like a leverage score, or well, we have a leverage score, the, the the rate at which players appear in the top 1%, uh, appear in lineups that are in the top 1% relative to their ownership, as well as a simulation value, which is essentially just the ROI of lineups that feature each player. Uh, the, the, the data is large in size and kind of... Uh, in, in a fairly convoluted program that is kind of difficult to port out. But I do, we do uh, in the Substack articles, publish a table. So like I'll be publishing the table that I'm working off of in the Substack article uh, with- and where can people get that? You gotta, you gotta learn how to promote <laughs> it up. Where do people well, get your Substack? Yeah, I, it's I mean- free. It's free, I mean, I get it every week, it's free. Yeah, it has been free, but it, that was kind of just a week one promo. It will be behind a paywall. Um, I forget the exact URL, but you can subscribe to ASA. You can, it's, it's, it's like some Substack URL, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it, it, I wish it was just substack.asa.com, but it's not but quite that create, simple. But, uh, let, let me give you a web developers type of thing. You should create yeah. a, a forwarder <laughs> under your domain name. So it's advancedsportsanalytics.com slash Substack, Substack and let it forward there. So you could then say, I got, yeah. I got to teach people. We, we got to have a whole hour of, uh, you know, how to, how to market your site type of show. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm a little too busy with the code at this point to like, look at the, uh, look at, yeah, the marketing behind it. But, uh, I would say Twitter is like everything we do, we, we, we try to, uh, link off to via Twitter. So I would say that is, that's going to be the best spot, uh, a good, a good starting point. And you can kind of go down the different, uh, funnels that, that you see fit, uh, so I can plug our Twitter. If you just search advanced sports analytics, it should come up. Uh, oh, so you don't even hand- know your Twitter handle. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, 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 we changed it like a year ago, but it is AS analytics DFS uh, at AS at advanced sports, a AS analytics spelled out DFS uh, is we're, we were kind of late to the game. Like all the good, all the good uh, ASA and whatever handles were taken. So uh, I don't know. It's just, we, we got wrecked by first mover advantage or disadvantage. So right. And, and you can follow you. You could follow your, your start Gibson. They, they stole the U from you. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, also late mover on Twitter. So also choosing from a poor set of possible handles, but yeah, start Gibson. Um, I don't really post that much from there, but I do have a link to the ASA Twitter in my bio. So that could also be an alternative way to get to the Twitter uh, of ASA which could be a useful resource uh, if uh, if you're into that stuff. And it's in my profile also. I put that I'm on the AS Analytics DFS show. And I was late enough to the Twitter game that I couldn't get Blenderhead. Some dude in 2007 was able to. And that's why I'm at Blender HD instead. So for uh, for Stuart Gibson, for me, Jordan Cooper, uh, that has been another edition of the Advanced Sports Analytics Show here on rotogrinders.com.